I tried and tried and I, you know, was just praying like, please just come, like just come out. But little did I know that the entire time I think I was standing in the way of him coming. I think it was my own expectations of, I have to have this natural birth. My mother did it. My mother-in-law did it. You know, every woman that has come before me has done it. How come I can't do it? Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shri, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want this season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. Hope you enjoy the show. In today's episode, you'll hear from Melissa. Melissa was born and raised in San Francisco and at 35 was an independent and successful hair and makeup artist. Deeply entrenched in her business, she never really had a yearning to be a mother. And then she met her now husband Lev. Both bonded over their mutual love for adventure, creative work and riding motorcycles. Ultimately, they did decide to have children and this is Melissa's birth story. Most of the conversations so far on the podcast have been about the choices our guests have intentionally made. But today's story is a little different. Melissa made a choice on how she wanted to give birth to her son Oliver. Maybe a home and water birth, but at the very least vaginal and without medications. But her reality was very different from that vision. In our conversation, we talked about the choices we are told to make, the ones we want to make, and ultimately the choices we have to make. The pregnancy was very difficult for me. I I suffered terrible morning sickness. I had, oh God, a number of things. Like I would get really bad itchy legs in the night while watching a movie or something. And it just was like uncontrollable itching. You know, I was nauseous all the time. I didn't feel good. I felt heavy. I gained like probably 60 pounds. It was just a number of things. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't get comfortable, you know. And, and this started pretty much from day one. I was like this feeling of like being weighed down a little bit. It was hard on my body, I think. It was something that, you know, a feeling I just wasn't expecting. So given that you had a somewhat of a difficult pregnancy, were you intentional about how you wanted to give birth? Or did you have any sort of opinion or viewpoint on this is how I want all of this to come together eventually? So going back from the beginning, I didn't have a very big, strong opinion on how I wanted to have my birth. I had a lot of outside opinions coming in. Oh, you must have a water birth. Oh, you should try a home birth. The home birth was lovely for me. I had a lot of opinions about vaginal birth, natural birth versus no drugs, you know, or I should say natural birth versus a drug birth, um, epidurals, you know, versus no epidurals. There were a lot of people sort of chiming in what their experiences were like and all of a sudden my mind started to become flooded with all of these thoughts of okay well how do i want to give birth or what what should i do or how do i ensure that i can have a good birth or but really in the process what i did learn eventually was you don't always choose your birth you can't it's almost virtually impossible 
um, just like you can't really control your death, it's, it's pretty much one and the same. <laughs> so leading up to, I think my seventh month, I started to become very convinced by um, other people that home birth was the way to go. So I actually interviewed a midwife for a home birth. It was like $6,000 to do um, at home water birth. And you know, at the time that was a lot of money for us because I wasn't working. And something in me was just, and I wanted this, I guess, I guess, you know, people had been saying to me like, this is the way to go. And I was adopting this idea that this is the best way for the baby to have an at home water birth. So after interviewing this midwife, I decided, okay, this is the way to go, but why don't I feel right about this? Why it isn't, something's not lining up. Intuitively, I just, I was like, I can't bring myself to say yes to this. And my husband also wanted an at-home water birth. But you know, like something within me just wasn't clear. I was like, I just don't know that this is the right thing. And so I turned it down. Well, it turns out Oliver was two weeks late. And the doctors at the hospital started to do routine tests, monitoring on the baby to make sure everything was okay. I was in the hospital probably every other day doing tests. It was so exhausting. And he was two weeks late and the doctors just kept saying, we have to induce, we have to induce. Now, I think in the state of California, once you're two weeks late, you can't do um, an at-home birth with a midwife by, the, by law. So in that case, I was glad that I made the decision against getting the midwife. I think my husband might have been a little bit disappointed, but he was very supportive nonetheless. And we ended up, in the end, taking the doctor's recommendation and going um, with an induction. The reason was, was because she even tried to, this is my OB and my doctor, she tried to do a membrane sweep. She did a vaginal membrane sweep. She couldn't even reach my cervix. That's how high up. He hadn't even dropped into the birthing canal. I was not having contractions. I was, they, they almost felt like tiny murmurs, but I wasn't having contractions at all. So it was at two weeks where we decided, okay, I guess we have to induce. So we went into the hospital and they did give me the pill, the miso, misoprostaglandin pill. You know, and in my mind, my best friend had had an induction and gave birth naturally. And so in my mind, I was like, well, if we have to just give him a little, you know, push in the right direction, then that should be fine. And while you were progressing from one state to the next, mm -hmm. were you starting to feel disappointed that, you know, for example, the first step, which was ideally, it sounds like you would have had, liked to have had a home water birth were you starting to feel disappointed that you weren't able to do any of these things or you were still pretty confident like you're saying that this was the right track like your best friend had done it it's still okay I'm still on track with whatever plan I have I was feeling disappointment in the sense that he was late I was like why isn't he coming what is happening I mean there was frustration there was feelings of a little bit of inadequacy like why isn't my body doing this why isn't this baby responding why isn't this happening so yeah there was a lot of disappointment already at, at that very early stage so i'm in the hospital i take this misoprostoglandin pill i've got these contractions going and 
we're kind of starting to get excited, Leif and I, like, okay, we're gonna meet our little boy, this is awesome, like, finally, it's, this day has come. And then the doctor comes in, I would say probably another hour after that, and was like, do you know about your blood? Has anybody ever spoken to you about your blood? And she said it in kind of a, a concerned yet nonchalant way. Um, but it was it was interesting because I was like, what is wrong with my blood? What tell me something? But she tried to kind of approach me in a very, very gentle manner. Um, she asked me if she if I knew what blood platelets were. And I was like, well, I know of them, but I don't know what that means, you know. Well, blood platelets are what cause you to clot if you're bleeding. So if you have a cut, your blood platelets kind of are why you get to, uh, you know, stop the bleeding. And mine, she was like, normally blood platelets are at the level of like 200. My blood platelets were at 60 and they were dropping. And so I was like, is this bad? <laughs> and she was like, well, we, we can't issue you an epidural if they're declining. And I was like, well, I don't want an epidural, so it should be fine. Well, I didn't know that when you get the induction that when you take the mesobrostoglandin and that kind of induces your body to have the, the, the contractions, the contractions end up being a lot stronger than what you know natural labor contractions would feel like. So by the sixth or seventh hour, I was in full-blown contractions and absolutely in a horrific amount of pain. Yeah. And had your cervix started to get dilated at all? Not right away. It took it took a while. I was stuck at one and two for a while. Although you probably felt like you were at a seven because of the... Of how, yes, of how intense these contractions were. I mean, I guess words can't even really describe that feeling. You really feel like your bones are cracking from the inside. I just really, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And, you know, the doctors kept coming in and running tests on my blood and go and telling me they've dropped, they've dropped even lower. We can't issue you an epidural. And I'm, I'm sitting there going like, what the heck is happening? Like, I just took this pill. I can't get off of it now. You know, we have to go through with this. We're on this train and it's moving and there's no getting off. I tried and tried and I praying like, please just come, like, just come out. But little did I know that the entire time, I think I was standing in the way of him coming. I think it was my own expectations of, I have to have this natural birth. My mother did it. My mother-in-law did it. You know, every woman that has come before me has done it. How come I can't do it? You know, and that was the pressure I was putting on myself the whole time. So in the end, he came the way he was supposed to. And I think you brought up such an important piece earlier on about inadequacy, mm -hmm. because I think not only do we do it to ourselves, but our communities and you know society does it to us too, of taking something to be the norm. Mm -hmm. In your case, it could be a vaginal birth. In my case, getting pregnant naturally. Mm -hmm. And if you don't fit into that norm, somehow there is this feeling of inadequacy that's passed on to you. And it could very well be self-inflicted. I had to do IVF to have my son. 
and I always thought to myself, why is it that I cannot have a baby naturally? I know there's other women who can't as well, but what it does to you is it gives you this deep sense of inadequacy and insecurity about what your body is worth. Right. As women, that is our biggest downfall is we tend to compare ourselves to other women. It's sad that we do that and it's terrible because it really hurts us deeply, very deeply. And we emotionally scar from that and we pass that down to our children. I think that I was so desperately trying to birth my baby naturally that I was maybe hurting him in the process. Why was the C-section so terrible for me to digest? What was so horrible about this? Why can't I just let go and go with whatever happens. No, no, I had to control it. I had to try my hardest to try to get him to birth naturally because that was the only way that I had been told was the right way. And that's the thing, it's what we've been told. It's what we've been told, it is. I absolutely agree with that. And I think, you know, sometimes we give more weightage to what we've been told rather than what our intuition is telling us. You know, in my case, again, it was that for whatever reasons that are unexplained to us, I have to have a baby via IVF. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. The ultimate goal is to have a child, is to have a family. And how does it really matter how you get there? Yes, it's not ideal. Nobody wants to pump themselves with the amount of injections you have to and the number of hormones that you're expected to. Mm -hmm. But it's because of this narrative that we've been fed that you can do it. You have the ability to have a child naturally, to give birth to a child naturally, breastfeed them naturally. Like It's just all of these stories that we've been told which somehow define how adequate you are as a woman and as a mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think that it's, you know, it's also the example that's been given to us um, without the words, you know. I think if more women were to talk about their birth stories in an honest way, not sugarcoating it, like, oh, it was beautiful. I had my baby and then I went and made dinner. That was what my mother and my mother-in-law kept saying to me. I'm like, you know what? Good for you. you know? <laughs> but it's Just, not my birth story. It's not my birth story. It, my birth story was traumatic it caused me to have PTSD symptoms. That was where the real, you know, the trauma was starting to show up after the fact, when the baby was there. And it all sunk in the disappointments of what just happened and I just had this surgery and I was not going in that direction in my mind. Why didn't, why wasn't I able to produce a child vaginally the way all these other women are able to do, you know? And I think that that pressure that I put on myself was what really caused the heartbreak. It was me putting that pressure on myself. It was society around me. It was my peers. It was my relatives. It was friends, you know? And it was just the way that we do compare ourselves. And so all these things together is was where I, I really suffered a grave disappointment. And the PTSD was really profound. So much to the point where I was waking up in the middle of the night, choking, I couldn't breathe, coughing. My husband would like fly out of bed and get me water and 
rock with me and it's okay, you know, and I was in a tremendous amount of pain and I couldn't even barely lift my child to change his diaper or to feed him. It was that painful. I didn't realize until I was in that defeated position of, oh my God, like I'm really feeling like I'm on the floor. I'm really down. I need help. You know, I think it was that moment where I was like, I need to get better so that I can care for my child because I can't do it right now, not like this. But Oliver was born healthy, happy, good baby. So Oliver was born on May 8th at around 3.30 in the afternoon. And about 72 hours after you'd gone into labor? This was three days, yeah, 72 hours. I hadn't eaten, I'd been injected with a, an obscene amount of medication. <laughs> I wasn't even really all that coherent. During the actual procedure, they had you know, issued a full spinal block. I started to tunnel vision and pass out. Um, I felt like I was kind of like checking out a little bit. And I was like, okay, I don't feel good. And I think that came from the alarming fear of when they took him out, he was not responsive. He wasn't crying. I didn't hear anything. And so, and my husband was worried. You know, and I could see that this was causing some emotion in the air while I'm having my C-section, which was causing me to have emotional feelings around it. And, you know, at that point, when he finally did cry, the nurse, they said to me, you know, Oliver was a little stunned when he came out. He was okay, but he had ingested meconium. He wasn't breathing. So they did have to breathe for him for a couple of minutes. And I was terrified. Oh my God, what is this doing to his brain? What is this doing to his heart? What is, you know, what's happening? So I told Leif, I was like, go over to him, go over to him, take him out, take, go away with him, like leave the room because I wanted to lose my shit. <laughs> I wanted to kind of lose it for a minute. Once my, my husband went to the baby, I turned to the anesthesiologist and I told her like, can you please hold my hand? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Are you okay? And I was like, no. She said, what's wrong? I was like, I think I'm gonna die right now. And I started to tunnel vision really bad and I started to close my eyes a little bit and she started clapping her hands really loud and calling my name out. And then she turned to the other anesthesiologist and was like, give her an adrenaline shot right now. So they issued me the adrenaline and I was going, flopping on the table and all over the place. And my heart felt like it was gonna jump out of my chest. And it was just, terrifying the whole experience was just oh my god um, I think that that was that heightened moment of I can't believe this is happening what is happening what's going through me right now I wasn't prepared for any of this so but he was in the end healthy you also had to go back to work pretty quickly so from our previous conversation I remember you saying that you had to go shoot a wedding when you were four weeks postpartum. Yes. I'd love to hear a little bit more from you on, you know, some of these other choices that as a mother, as a business owner, that you have to make, even though it's not something that you would have if you had more control over those um, circumstances. Well, here I was thinking that I was going to give birth naturally. And so if I had given birth naturally and if Oliver had been on time it would have been six weeks after I had 
delivered um, and I would have been able to go shoot this wedding no problem. <laughs> Maybe no problem. <laughs> but the reality of it was that like I hadn't prepared for a C-section. I had no idea that was going to happen. But even more so, you know, we're freelance and we don't have the support financially um, of not being able to work, you know, nobody pays for maternity leave for us and nobody is helping us financially. So we, we had to work. Um, my husband was carrying both of us for a while there financially. And so, um, you know, I had made the decision before I had given birth to take a contract for this wedding and, I had to amend the contract. I had to, I had to uh, shoot this wedding. You know, there's no getting out of contracts. There's no redos on wedding days. You can't just not show up. This is somebody else's very important day. And so I strapped on my type A mentality and I went and shot that wedding. <laughs> it was painful. But you just felt like, you know what? I can do this. And it'll be done soon enough. In a couple of hours, I can go home and take care of myself and Oliver. Like, what got you through that? I guess I just didn't feel like I had another choice. I had told myself I was doing it for my son and for my husband. I, you know, we needed the money. We needed to do this. And I also felt I just walked to hell and back. And I think I could probably do this, no problem. <laughs> so was there one takeaway from your entire birthing experience? learning that life's experiences don't necessarily have to be good or bad like by attaching an opinion to it sometimes we experience things in life for the greater good of our own personal learning and i feel what i went through wasn't necessarily a bad thing i didn't die i lived and i learned so in the end it was a good thing and my hopes is to share it with other women so that they maybe don't put that kind of pressure on themselves, so that maybe they get a little bit more support where they need it. Because honestly, like, it wasn't bad in the end. I did have a good experience. I did get the help I needed. I did learn from, oh, okay, so here's where I'm hard on myself, or here's where I allowed other people's opinions to interfere in, in my own choices that I needed to make. So. In the end, it was a good, it was a positive experience. That's how I see it. So Melissa decided that she needed to do something to address the trauma around her birth story. At her therapist's suggestion, she started EMDR. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which helps the mind to catch up with what the body has gone through to relieve trauma and stress. And through it, Melissa was finally able to make peace with the reality of how Oliver's birth had played out. The biggest takeaway for me from this conversation is the expectations we set for ourselves as mothers and how we find it hard to relinquish control over how we feel about our minds and bodies. So I was really moved and inspired by Melissa's story on accepting life's choices and being okay and in fact even welcoming plans not going our way. We wrapped up our chat with some final thoughts on how Melissa thinks about the choices that aren't ideal, but ultimately how she finds ways to make peace with them. You know, I have to constantly remind myself that I'm not superhuman. <laughs> I think that just 
my path and my journey towards being a better person every day involves acceptance, you know, and I've always been very headstrong and determined to do things and do them perfectly. And sometimes life delivers a lesson to me that says, there's no perfect, you know, you have to accept what life is going to give you. And if you don't, you suffer. And so I know for me that the acceptance part of who I am and what I'm doing is imperative in order to create happiness and harmony. Thank you for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with another interview. And until then, if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about, let me know.